It's as American as the Declaration of Independence. It's also innate to human nature. It's the pursuit of happiness. And who doesn't want to be happy? And yet, how do we know what real happiness is? Because many things which give immediate pleasure result in awful repercussions. True happiness is not mere emotional or physical euphoria. Our desire for happiness is ultimately an intense longing for God. We live in a time and a culture that has a hard time recognizing this. Now, like millions of others, I'm on Facebook. I try to use it judiciously, especially for posting articles that I think are significant for Christian thinking. But I also see how easily emotions are manipulated and too quickly expressed. But sometimes, Facebook gives a genuine funny. I saw this cartoon a couple of weeks ago. Two people are in conversation. The first one says, I feel like Jesus' teachings can be summed up like this. Don't hurt anybody's feelings. Because if something hurts someone's feelings, it can't be Christ-like. The other person responds, well, I hear that sentiment everywhere, but how do you reconcile that with the Bible as the source of truth? I mean, sometimes the truth hurts. It's objective and exclusive, and truth is true no matter how we feel about it. And so the first person responds, You want to know how I know you're wrong? Because that hurts my feelings. And that sentiment is all around us. And today's readings take us into the heart of our struggle when we do not like what God says. Jeremiah cried out to God because of the derision and the reproach that he received simply because he proclaimed God's truth and it wasn't always pleasant. The rejection was so bad that he tried to promise himself, I will not mention him. I will speak in his name no more. And yet his commitment to God was so intense that he had to admit it becomes a fire burning in my heart. And that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives when we're committed to be faithful. But what do we do with this yearning to be happy? You know, every day we have a choice to make. It's the nitty-gritty process of Christian conversion. Do we trust our feelings or do we put our faith in the claim of what God has said? Now, if we think for even a moment, we should recognize the conflict and the bedlam that results if everyone just tries to live according to his feelings. On the other hand, if we follow St. Augustine and his classic observation, we find a unifying center that does lead to ultimate happiness 
You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. This is what the psalmist says in the responsorial. O God, you are my God whom I seek. For you my flesh pines and my soul thirsts. So what do we expect when we seek God? It's so easy to make the mistake of the first person in the cartoon. We would like to believe that God would not ask of us anything that is unpleasant. The witness of the scriptures and the testimony of the church tell us that is not true. Paul gives the contrast in his letter to the Romans. Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed. Jesus tells us that true life comes through dying to the old life. It's the message of the cross. And this choice is really as old as humanity. It was Jeremiah's choice when he could not hold back what he knew to be God's truth. Last week was the memorial of the passion of St. John the Baptist. And he chose to speak truth to Herod. And he paid for it with his life. This is what Jesus was saying to the twelve. And it's what the human weakness part of Peter did not want to hear. Now it takes faith to see this, and so Christian faith is God's invitation to us to dare to believe. When Peter recoiled from the cross, he was denying the very possibility of happiness. Because you see, when Jesus calls us to his cross... He is calling us to ultimate happiness because he's calling us to himself. We may not be able to sense it right away. There will be painful obstacles. But as Christians, we are people of the cross. It's more than just a gesture we make. The cross comes to each one of us according to our time and our place and our measure of faith. Beginning to embrace the cross may mean something as simple as sacrificing screen time each day, or maybe a bit of sleep in order to spend dedicated time with God, saying, God, I seek you. It can be the embarrassment of being different for Jesus' sake when you're surrounded with people who want to do what is popular. It can be a willingness to sacrifice financially when we had much rather spend our money the way that we want to. Or it can be the ultimate price of physical life. Our Lord speaks to us in the gospel. Do we believe him? Bishop Robert Barron, introducing today's reading, made this observation. Disciples listen to Jesus. Sinners tell him what to do. 
Disciples obey the master. Sinners correct him. So what are we trusting to make us happy? Jesus tells us to embrace the cross. As we live in a world that hungers for happiness, let's be people of the cross. It's the way that we're connected to Jesus. Offer yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, we're surrounded with voices that tell us that we can choose our own truth. We feel the pull to do whatever is convenient and comfortable. And we know that embracing the cross hurts. Help us to love you so much that we can be faithful even when it's hard, even when it hurts. Father, hear the cry of our hearts through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.